0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Well, Prince Philip has been in the news for all the wrong reasons, so we'll be hearing later about his visit to Hong Kong 60 years ago in March 1959 on a world tour on the Royal Yacht Britannia and how he later manages to steer the Britannia into port. Literally. But first, with its dense living conditions and, in previous decades, less than hygienic conditions, Hong Kong has been a petri dish for contagious diseases, including bubonic plague, bird flu and SARS. In the first half of today's programme, I head to Tai Kwun, the former central police station complex in Hollywood Road, to talk with Ken Arnold, the creative director of the Wellcome Trust, a biomedical research foundation, based in the UK. Contagious Cities Far Away Too Close is an exhibition on show at Taekwon which combines history and art to look at how pandemics have affected Hong Kong. The exhibition is part of a series of events happening here over the next five months.
1: So Welcome is an international organisation and a project like this we think is an interesting way of putting different parts of the world mean a lot to us together so it started in new york in september it's here launching in hong kong now it will be on for the next six months here in hong kong in various venues and then uh, it's already been to, and we'll return to, Geneva. And actually, we've just added a fourth city, so we'll be going to Berlin too, which is another place in the world where Welcome works.
0: And it's a mix of contemporary art and heritage.
1: Yes, so I suppose it starts from that point of view that contagion and diseases are not just a medical and scientific phenomenon, they're also social, cultural, personal. And a project like this is trying to bring that all together, is, is trying to do a bit of education, telling people what's happened and helping them to understand a bit about what we understand of diseases, but also recognising that when you have a disease, it's, it's not just a scientific fact, it's a very deeply personal thing, uh, often tragic. And we're trying to capture that mixture of human emotion and factual material in one exhibition across the Taiguan site.
0: It's interesting to be in the Taiguan site. In fact, your exhibition goes across three sites here.
1: Yes, indeed. So it's next to what's called, I think, the laundry yard here. It's in this space we're standing in, which is the contemporary art bit of it, and this is a former printing press, and before that, the women's prison. And then actually three other bits of the exhibition are in some of the prison cells that you can, as a visitor, come and look at here. So yes, even the nature of the spaces that this is in maybe hints at that sense that diseases don't understand walls and architecture, and they kind of spread everywhere.
0: So we're in JC contemporary space currently?
1: Yes, that's right, and this is where the focus of the contemporary art programme that Tobias Berger runs here uh, is situated. But because of the nature of this project, we've also worked very closely with colleagues in the heritage side of things, and other parts of the show are in those spaces too. The first thing you come across is a work by Chu Yu Cheng, and her piece is called Wiping Perception, Touching, Infection, Disinfection, Education, New Habit. So a cluster of words that are all associated with diseases, and part of the work is actually uh, a face wipe that you can pick up. The suggestion is that you don't pick it up until uh, the temperature reaches 26 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's partly because that's a critical temperature when microorganisms begin to multiply and when diseases begin to spread. So this is a playful way of suggesting that diseases are things that are part of everyday life here and elsewhere so as a as a visitor to Hong Kong I was very struck as soon as you get into the airport with the heat sensing equipment and then as you walk around you see so many masks and this towel, I suppose, represents that sense in which it's an everyday part of our lives.
0: Oh, particularly since SARS in 2003, I think people have become very aware.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, of course, this exhibition very much draws on some of the artists' memories of that period here. And this work, this towel that you pick up, is scented partly with some of the hints of disinfectant and some of the other odours, I suppose, that people associate with diseases and certainly protecting themselves from the spread of diseases. So in that way, it's a kind of full sensory experience you start with your nose and then are led by your eyes and end up with your ears maybe
0: So you've got all sorts of different uh, media here really in terms of the art
1: Yes absolutely yeah and this exhibition was curated by brilliant local curator uh, Ying Kwok, and yeah she was very keen on exploring this sense both of the balance between the emotional and the factual side of things but also yes that sense in which it is part of our entire world when it hits us. One of the points of this exhibition maybe is to touch on the very specific nature in which disease has struck Hong Kong, so very, still a young city, uh, but even in its early decades, right at the end of the 19th century, of course, bubonic plague came here, particularly in the Taiping Chang area, and certainly in the heritage side of this exhibition and in some of the collaboration with our other partners we're very much exploring that part of the history of disease in Hong Kong and then bringing it up to date and of course 15, 16 years ago SARS was happening here and something that the whole world uh, began to think about and pay attention to What are these sounds? So this is from a work by Angela Su and her interest is in uh, again a mixture of sort of fantasy and factual background. She's trained in biological sciences, but has become an artist, and I suppose part of her work is really almost challenging the, the title of the exhibition, and certainly the traditional disease narrative. Uh, so for her, there's almost hints of kind of extraterrestrial aspects of whether, you know, and there have been sounds scientists.
0: Sounds a bit alienated. Yes.
1: And that sense in which, you know, maybe we don't understand as much as we think, and maybe there is a sense in which there's a, a comfort we gain from telling particular stories. And, of course, in different parts of the world, different stories are told about where diseases come from.
0: So where you were saying that this is a former printing works, but is this a new building for art?
1: Yes. So this, uh, I guess Taequann, is is a fascinating mixture of new architectural structures introduced by the Swiss architects Herzog and de Meuron who famously did Tate Modern and other galleries around the world and then a conversion and a reclamation of the historic site of the prison and the courtroom so in that way it's very much uh, a sort of thrustingly modern space but also reminding us that uh, it's a space that had a very different use and I think it other well, beautifully balances uh, that sense of history with the sense that you know history has to be alive history has to mean something to us today for it to be real in our lives and I think this space manages to do that
0: so here we've got some that are talking about yes the bubonic plague that was 1894 in Hong Kong and uh, also swine flu of course we've got swine fever across the border at the moment um, so that is also causing concern, although that's less of a problem for humans. Oh, we've also got cholera here. Oh, yes, in the 1960s, of course. Yes, it was still prevalent here.
1: Yes, and I suppose the other date that we should all bear in mind, of course, is 1918-19, is when the world was suffering, uh, as far as we know, the world's worst ever disease outbreak. So the influenza mm-hmm. pandemic, which we think maybe affected up to a third of the world's population, killed two and a half, maybe three times the number of people who had just died in the First World War. I think I'm right in saying about 250 people died here in Hong Kong of the influenza pandemic. And then, of course, Hong Kong, almost exactly 50 years later, had the Hong Kong flu, which was much more devastating in this part of the world. So yes, that sense in which this exhibition touches on, you know, in in the literal sense, a dreadful part of life that just carries on recurring and part of the welcomes interest in a project like this we're a science and medicine organization and we're really interested in trying to work with other partners to prevent future epidemics so disease preparedness is sometimes the term and this is how can we learn literally from the past and what we've discovered to in particularly in public health to apply ourselves to stopping SARS occurring again. And we're actually standing just next to another work in this exhibition by the British artist, Blast Theory. And they're, interestingly, the first artists in residence, so spending a couple of months with the World Health Organization in Geneva in a room that's called the Shockroom so the Strategic Health Operations Center. This is the place in the world where, on a daily basis, they review reports of diseases from around the world and they try and work out what action should happen. You know, what scale of threat is this and what should a coordinated response do to try and tackle it? And in particular, they were interested in the stories that people were telling of their memories of what happened during SARS. And this work here is actually a scale model of the Metropole Hotel. And on the ninth floor of the Metropole Hotel, this is where... The spread of SARS uh, internationally because of the people who were staying in the hotel really sparked the epidemic that happened in 2003. And again a work that tries to capture the factual detail of what room the doctor stayed in who, who caught the disease and brought it to Hong Kong but also sort of the mystery that still surrounds quite how these diseases spread. And particularly the psychological spread, the fear that accompanies the spread of the microbes themselves.
0: So, what are these skeletal hands?
1: So yes, this is a work by Cho Kuing Nang and it's called No Sense of Touch Uh, and I suppose it picks up in a very direct and interactive way on this sense we have that in times of disease, as an organism we recoil from being close to other people, whereas mostly we're quite fond of the idea of being close to each other and touching people and suddenly breathing in the environment to somebody else or touching their hand becomes a real problem uh, and people who live through SARS here recount how quickly the streets were emptied and how quickly people became worried about being too close to each other and I guess in a in a slightly playful way this work which has yeah skeletal hands and a sensor underneath and as I drag my hand towards trying to shake, uh, I'm alarmed and I move my hand away and that's precisely the point
0: so we're now down in one of the actual prison cells?
1: Yes, so what's this, sort of a metre and a half by three metres, and I think up to three three or four prisoners would be living in here you know, almost the entire day but no toilet in sight. So in that way, I guess this exhibition is using a space like this partly to talk about the lives of the people who lived here and the potential for catching and spreading diseases in a space like this, but actually almost as a metaphor really, reminding us that certainly in Taiping Chang in the late 19th century the spaces that the Chinese community lived in there probably were about the same cramped spaces as we're standing in now and with the same uh, potential for sanitation to be uh, far less than how we would think is ideal and therefore you know, it almost gives you a space in which you can think about how people lived, how close people lived and how easy it might have been for diseases to spread.
0: In Taiping Shan, they were not only um, cramped together, but they, they had the pigs underneath. So, yes, absolute breeding ground. But I was, one, I think one of the most lucrative trades, actually, was what was euphemistically called the, the night soil removal.
1: Yes, indeed, yeah. yeah. And obviously that question of, you know, before you start introducing sewage systems, how do you get rid of the effluent that's produced by all living creatures? Yes, and I suppose lucrative, but also not a job that many of us would like doing. Um, you know, often done at night, uh, and people coming round and effectively just emptying buckets of... Um, of stuff. That stuff. Uh- <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and taking it off and, uh, you know, often deposing of it in places that might then carry on producing potential health threats. And actually one of the other parts of this project that we're working on with the Museum of Medical Sciences in the Taiping-Shang area is precisely to develop a, a walking tour, and a, an app for the walking tour that they do there that will give people an opportunity to walk in that very different area now and think a bit about the history of the history of the disease there and then the history of the establishment of the the medical facilities that then helped start really changing things in Hong Kong and you know, arguably now making it one of the more safe places in terms of disease outbreak. Just I suppose part of the project here is very much about the balance between the terrible dreadful sides of this story and the fact that in those times of horror we seem to have resources that are compassionate that are empathetic but also new knowledge new ways of dealing with diseases can emerge from those times and certainly to come right up to date SARS has had a huge effect on on dis- disaster preparedness here and how uh, measures are taken to make sure that hygiene is is of a very high standard now
0: now the actual sound that sounds slightly earthquakey that we can hear in the background is I think it is a band uh, getting ready or doing some sound checks
1: yes yes I, I think I that's a, a live event that's about to take yes. place soon here
0: you can come and see Contagious Cities far away, too close, which is on at Taekwun here on Hollywood Road. Well, actually, this bit where you go up to JC Contemporary is up Old Bailey Street, and then you turn into, again to what was formerly the Victoria Prison. So we've been in the JC Contemporary uh, building, now in the original prison cells. I can't believe that you'd have had three people in there even but you know though I'm used to Hong Kong flat size that's really yes,
1: my well, the irony is that you know with subdividing uh, apartments nowadays that we're almost seem to be going back to uh, uh, an era when people are living dangerously close together. I'm
0: walking along with Ken Arnold the creative director at the Wellcome Trust and we're walking through the Taekwon site here looking at three venues for the exhibition Contagious Cities Far Away Too Close. So
1: yes, in this semi-outdoor space, the exhibition particularly concentrates on uh, the bubonic plague, 1894 and the decades following it, and both on some of the information that we have about the disease and how it spread, but then also particularly the efforts by a variety of different scientists and public health people to learn lessons and to change the way people lived, the way people dealt with sewerage, etc., so that the city could become a much safer place. And another important aspect, and you see it over there with the cushions on the floor and that uh, set of children's literature, uh, is an opportunity to, to sit, to leaf through material, and, and then to have conversations with people. And it, it's, it's striking that so much of children's literature picks up on diseases you know from the a tissue a tissue we all fall down through to quite a lot of aspects of Chinese culture that I know much less well but that sense in which in cultures all around the world the preponderance of diseases seeps its way into popular culture uh, popular imagination uh, as well as into scientific textbooks
0: but also, culturally, love is a disease, for example. This, this idea that, that, that it's this illness that afflicts you, you know? yep. in a good way,
1: perhaps. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, in economics, there's, there's a sense in which, you know, the infectiousness of good ideas, trade is full of this idea of ideas spreading and changing people's minds, etc. So in that way, the metaphor of disease and the metaphor of things spreading is, is something that is prevalent throughout all aspects of culture could also say fascism right now absolutely yeah yeah and and you know just as good ideas can spread infectiously so too can rather appalling ideas and yeah i mean ironically there it's an idea of not sharing and not being with other people that's being spread through sharing so yes quite a lot of complexity and irony wrapped up in that one
0: you can come and see the exhibition here until April. I'll give uh, the dates at the end of the programme. But um, there's also other aspects that are going to be, as you said, in, in North Point.
1: Yes, so we're working with uh, the Medical Sciences Museum to develop an app uh, for a walk around the Taiping sheng Heritage Trail, so particularly focused on bubonic plague there. And then uh, a writer, Toza Pak, is working at OI Gallery. So uh, in Oil Street. In Oil Street, yeah. And then Asia Art Archive are working with Welcome Library to develop some workshops around zines, which are a sort of particularly infectious uh, way of sharing ideas. And then we're also working with Hong Kong University and their Common Core course to develop other live events. So, yeah, over the next six months, we're hoping that there are any number of contagion and disease-related topics that will pop up in different cultural locations and carry on spreading our interest in generating conversation, local conversation session around this global issue of contagion.
0: So you're now, after so you've been a couple of days in Hong Kong, you're off to Denmark?
1: Yes, yes, I'm going back to uh, a different job that I have, so I run a medical museum in Copenhagen and I'm going back to the medical museum to, uh, to develop some more projects there.
0: Well, have a great stay in Hong Kong, I hope you don't... Uh... <laughs> come anywhere near our
1: flu here yes thank you very much yes no i'm sure i'll leave completely healthy and certainly very happy it's a wonderful city and i can't wait to be back
0: my thanks to ken arnold the creative director of the welcome trust talking there on the exhibition contagious cities far away too close which is on show at taekwon until april the 21st Prince Philip, the 97-year-old husband of Britain's Queen Elizabeth, has been providing a PR nightmare in recent weeks for palace staff after, he says, the sun got in his eyes at Sandringham, resulting in a car crash. He was then caught two days later driving without a seatbelt and has surrendered his driving licence to avoid prosecution. Sixty years ago, Prince Philip was on a world tour on the Royal Yacht Britannia. He'd stop off in Singapore and Hong Kong, more of that later, and then in June of 1959, he heads to Canada, where he decides he's going to parallel park the Royal Yacht at a pier in Quebec.
2: Prince Philip scrapes Britannia in docking. Montreal, June 24th. Prince Philip bumped the Royal Yacht Britannia against the side of a pier today and scraped 25 square feet of paint off the ship's hull. Esmond Butler, Assistant Press Secretary for Queen Elizabeth, reversed himself tonight and told newsmen that Philip was handling the ship when it scraped alongside the pier at Three Rivers, Quebec. Butler earlier told reporters at the dockside after the Britannia reached Montreal that the Queen's husband was not responsible. Prince Philip was bringing the yacht alongside when this occurred. Butler told reporters. He said the mishap involving Philip, a former British Navy frigate captain, could have happened to anyone, and the damage could be repaired by one seaman with a pot of paint in five minutes.
0: In fact, that story of Prince Philip isn't the lead story on the China Mail. It's the night before the execution of a young US serial killer, Charles Starkweather, aged 20, who's been given the electric chair for killing 11 people. His father tries desperately to appeal to no avail. And Deputy Warden John Geenholt says Starkweather was served a tenderloin steak for his last meal. But he didn't know whether the young man ate it because he told me he wasn't hungry. Also on the front page of the China Mail, there are questions over whether Indonesian rebels are operating in Hong Kong and the British actor Michael Wilding and his wife Susan sell jewellery for £138,000. We also learn that French President Charles de Gaulle has flown to Rome and that quads have been born in New York. And there's also this news.
2: You. I want to be loved by you alone. Boop, boop, be
3: Marilyn in good condition, New York, June the 24th. Marilyn Monroe was reported in splendid condition today at Lenox Hill Hospital, where she underwent gynaecological surgery yesterday morning. She would be able to go home on Friday.
0: In 1959, Prince Philip is on an extensive tour on the Britannia, which, among other destinations, covers Singapore and Hong Kong, and then heads on to the West Indies. Prince Philip, as we've just heard, is later in Canada. In Hong Kong, we learn from the China Mail that a big parade has been laid
2: on. China Mail, Saturday, March 7th, 1959. Duke inspects big parade, largest of its kind to be held in Far East. 20 servicemen collapse. The fog-shrouded hills around Kai tak formed an impressive backdrop for a colourful parade of 3,500 officers and men of the three services, where the Duke of Edinburgh took the salute this morning. Prince Philip arrived at Kai tak 13 minutes behind schedule after being delayed en route through Kowloon. At the parade, stretcher-bearers were kept busy as about 20 men collapsed after awaiting the Duke's arrival at what army sources described as the largest of its kind in the Far East. When the Duke began his inspection, standing in the rear of the Land Rover, a large crowd of children surged forward to get a closer look. The Duke had a warm smile and a wave for the children at this break in formality. Then a young female movie camera enthusiast braved reprimand and calmly walked into the middle of the parade ground to catch the Duke as he passed by. She was able to get some good shots of Prince Philip before she was herded off the parade ground by a subaltern. The Duke was then given three vigorous cheers by the men on parade. He stepped off the dice for the last time, stopped for a word with Air Commodore Holder and Lieutenant General Bastian before climbing into an open Humber Pullman limousine. This took him to the civil airport steps where he boarded the Royal Barge to be taken back to the Britannia in preparation for his next engagement, the reception on board the Royal Yacht at noon. The weather was warm and humid and there was no breeze. Six bands were on parade. On the same front page, we learn... She wants $13,000 alimony
3: a year. New York, March the 6th. Veronica Lake, 39-year-old actress with the blonde peekaboo hairstyle, is seeking a separation and $13,000 a year temporary alimony from her husband, Joseph McCarthy. It was stated in a court here today
0: digging out the reel-to-reels in the RTHK library. There's one of Radio Hong Kong's on-location coverage of Prince Philip leaving on the Royal Yacht Britannia, accompanied by a flotilla of local vessels and sampans. Here's Radio Hong Kong commentator Ted Thomas.
3: And here, off uh, Tarthong Point, off Cape Carson, in fact, in the eastern approaches of the Harbour Limits, and aboard HMS Starsham... With only the other three ships of the escort and the Royal Yacht Britannia in company, except for perhaps four or five well-known craft which are cruising around us. I can see the uh, Jardine's boat, Jardine Linker, just to port of us here with a crowd of people, who I'm sure must be familiar, waving towards the Royal Yacht. And over to starboard, the Lady Barbara, the Yawl Lady Barbara. One might expect as we of the flotilla begin to prepare to peel off and return to harbour, some sort of anti for the slower boats, the flag-bedecked pleasure craft, the crowded commercial boats, and even the gaily decorated sampans have left already. But no, this is the climax. This is where Britannia takes her final leave of Hong Kong, for still the shores of Hong Kong are not more than about a quarter or perhaps a half a mile away. The roaring of the firecrackers is stilled, and the screaming barons have bleated their last farewell, unless, of course, those ships which we now see waiting way up off the Nine Pins, between the Nine Pins and Waggon, are to their clamor to the noise we've already heard. For Prince Philip, there stretches ahead over a week of sea time before once again he dons his glittering uniform or impeccable morning coat to resume what will be, after all, another series of the warmth with which he greeted us all and the enduring goodwill which he engendered amongst the people of Hong Kong just a few minutes ago we came through Moon Pass and Of course, a different Lyman Pass, ablaze with firecrackers and adorned with flags, people perched on almost every horizontal surface, adding their waves and shouts to those which we'd already heard at Queen's Pier and all the way along Gloucester Road on the seashore as the people crowded by to enjoy themselves and enjoy for themselves a last glance, a last look at the Royal Yacht. And when I say a last, I... I sincerely hope this is not true. I sincerely hope that in the future, and in the not too distant future, we'll see some more of the Royal Yacht, and of course, some more of the Royal Family. Now the junks. The civil craft beginning to fall off as we and the escort turn in towards the Royal Yacht now, cutting in at what looks like an alarmingly dangerous angle. They're going to cross, I think, the whole of the crew, lining the rail with their hands on the guardrail, the upper rail of the guardrail, beginning to cross across the stern now, We're coming across, and not only His Royal Highness up on the sand deck now, quite a crowd of the staff and retainers have gathered, and it's a strange sight to see that all the pomp and circumstance of the entering and leaving harbour of a Royal Navy ship, or in this case, the Royal Yacht, it's not unusual to see the sight of the chef or the cook up there with his sleeves rolled up and the collar of his shirt open and his hair all over his face showing that, after all, as well as being a very smart and beautiful-looking ship, is also a very democratic one. The first, second, and third ship have already cheered, and now our ship, Darsham, prepares for cheering. There with the voices of Darsham, ringing out the tiny crew of less than a dozen men. Their caps held aloft, swinging them round as they shout, Hooray, three hurrahs for the Duke of Edinburgh and the Royal Yacht Britannia. We will return you to the studios. That final commentary on the departure of the Royal Yacht Britannia came from Ted Thomas on board HMS Darsham. This is Radio Hong Kong. Radio
0: Hong Kong's coverage there of Prince Philip leaving on the Royal Yacht Britannia from Hong Kong in 1959. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.